following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
must write to the church at Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. A message to the seven churches from Jesus, the risen Lord. It's a message not of rebuke. It's a message of warning regarding what's coming. We are going to suffer persecution. There are some who are teaching that we will leave this earth in a glorious rapture without suffering any persecution. That's a lie. Today, in many parts of the world, many parts of the earth, the church is suffering intense persecution, even to the point of death. Do we think because we're in America, we will escape that persecution? No, we will not. We will suffer persecution. I look at this message And my heart is encouraged because he says, Jesus says, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. And yet you are rich. There are some of you listening to this broadcast today who have been suffering afflictions. You've been suffering in your body. You've been suffering from pains in your back, your knees, different parts of your body, and the suffering has been intense, physical suffering. And there's nothing that wears a person down like physical suffering when your pain level is at a a six or a seven constantly. It wears. He's saying, I know your afflictions. Jesus knows if you've been suffering. 
He knows if you're in poverty today. He knows if you lack the financial resources to provide for yourself the life you believe you should be living. There are some of you who are spending a great deal of time and energy trying to make money to escape all poverty. You're paying off debts. You're struggling. You're not spending the time you need to spend with your children or with your wife or with your husband because you're working all the time. You have forgotten that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things would be added to you. You say, No, I have to do it. God is not going to help me if I don't help myself. I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to work. And meanwhile, your children, your family are suffering because you're not paying attention to them. You're not with them. You're in school. You're in work. You're in this. You're in that. You're in poverty. But the afflictions and the poverty that Jesus is speaking about in this message to the church at Smyrna, are not brought on by our own sin. These afflictions, these sufferings, these persecutions, this poverty comes because we are followers of Jesus Christ and we do not belong to this culture. We do not belong to this world. We are but strangers we are traveling through as foreigners. We know we don't fit. He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Some of you are going to be cast into prison. Some of you are going to suffer even the ultimate. You are going to be executed for your faith in Jesus Christ. Be faithful to the point of death. And he says, I will give you the crown of life. Death is such a, such a wicked thing. Jesus never intended that we should die. We were not to die. We were to live forever. Death is so extremely painful to look upon or to experience. Tuesday, as I finished the radio broadcast, my telephone rang. I answered. It was a friend, the wife of a friend. And she said, Pastor, it just passed. Will you come? Yes, I'll be there in just minutes. As I walked into the living room where Ed was laying on a a hospital bed, I was not greeted with that beautiful smile on his face, but rather with a dead man 
mouth gaping open, lifeless. He was gone. I had just spoken with him and visited with him a day or so before, and I had said to him, Ed, you are going to soon leave this earth, and you're going to make your journey to the other side. And I advised him to carefully consider every aspect of his life. His mind was very sharp, very clear. I said, Ed, look carefully at your life. And if there's any area where you have question, quickly cry out to Jesus. For there is life on the other side. There is a paradise of God that we desire to enter, but only the righteous can enter. I watched with his wife and several friends until the funeral home came and put him in a body bag and took him away. The funeral will be coming up soon that I'll be helping to conduct. I hate death. I hate everything associated with it. And of course, people are going to say at the funeral, we're here to celebrate the life of Ed. That's not what I'm going to say. I'm going to say we're here to say goodbye for now. But our hope is on the other side. Jesus is saying to the church at Smyrna, you're going to be put in jail. Some of you are going to die. But be faithful. Even to the point of death. And I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Revelation, the second chapter, verse 11. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Of course, the second death is when everyone lives once and then faces the judgment. And at the judgment, it's determined that you continue to walk in your sin and in rebellion and you never gave yourself over totally and completely into the hand of Jesus. You still acted like the world. You still walked like the world. You still desired the things of the world. You were still caught in your lust. You were still caught in your bitterness and your anger. You were still caught in your sin. Oh, I'm, I'm coming today saying to you, No, I come to you today broken, humble of heart, knowing that no good thing dwells in my natural man, knowing that if Jesus does not lift me up, if Jesus does not carry me on his shoulders, I can be nothing. 
and my words will be empty and cast aside. My heart cries for you that you would give up the illusion of the world of Vanity Fair. That you would give up the illusion that this world has anything to offer you that will bring pleasure to your heart. That you will give up once and for all the notion that money is the answer to your problems. Jesus is saying to the church at Smyrna, don't be afraid of what you're going to suffer. I know how people have spoken against you. I know how you are treated, how you are looked upon as nothing. Don't be afraid. You are rich. You will not know that you are rich until you have been given the heart of Jesus. The human race is utterly poor and stricken. And with a moan, we die. The only avenue of escape is to be lifted up by Jesus. To be carried by Jesus. To leave behind all self. To leave behind having our own way. It hurts when we are looked upon with scorn by those we love and we're cut off and we're judged because all of us want to be loved. All of us want to be somebody. All of us want to be treasured and valued. All of us want to be considered as as somebody. But if you want Jesus, you are going to suffer people cutting you off, devaluing you. And we try to find solace in being right theologically, and we try to tell everybody this is what is right, and you must believe the way I believe. It's very freeing to sit with a couple of pagans or non-Christians and just listen to them as they talk about what they believe and what they think without having to jump in and tell them, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're going to hell. No. Love is what rules the day in Jesus I've sat with many non-Christians and just listened to them, ask them questions. I remember when I was a young man, I was able to travel to Weimar's Switzerland. 
and there I was gifted with 30 days of stuttering, studying at Le Brie under the auspices of Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian of our century, the apologist for the gospel. We ask him, how do you witness to university students who are pagans? His answer was stunning, and it changed my life. He said, I listen to them, and then I ask them questions about what their beliefs will lead them to. And then what will that lead them to? And what will that lead them to? Until finally they recognize that their pagan beliefs will simply take them into a place of nothingness. A Buddhist said to me, I don't believe in the metaphysical. I don't believe in the spiritual. I don't believe there's anything after this life. We live here and then we die and it's over and there's nothing again. I listened. I listened. I asked questions. Are you happy with that final outcome? No, I'm not. I'm not happy with that final outcome. Well, would you be willing to listen to another outcome? No, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. When you're ready, let's talk about it. See, I don't have to I don't have to push Jesus at people. I don't have to beat them over the head with what I think is right. The work of converting a sinner is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of having all the answers. We have to recognize that we as Christians come as broken people, wounded people. I am a deeply wounded man. I've had many sorrows in my life. Many of those sorrows I brought on myself by poor decisions, by a lack of judgment and wisdom and a lack of listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit. But many of those sufferings came because I'm a human being and I'm on the earth and this is a prison planet. This is a place of probation. This is a place where the powers of darkness rule. But I've also suffered much at the hands of so-called Christians who come with their arrogance and their pride thinking that they have all the answers and having to deal with the anguish and pain of my heart as they judge and cut off and cast away and consider me as Is nothing. And then I remember that I am nothing. I remember that I am but a broken man. 
that I have no basis for being arrogant or proud. That I can't look at my life and say, I did it right. I have the truth. No, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The wolf nature has to be dealt with in our hearts. And on this journey toward the celestial city, we come face to face with who we really are. And we have to make a decision. Will we let Jesus have his way? I was, I was talking with my dear brother, Don. And he was raising questions, theological questions. And he said something that just touched my heart. He said, Ray, I don't know that I'm right. I may be totally wrong, but I'm trying to understand. Wow, what an awesome position to take. I may be wrong. I may not understand. Such humility of heart. Such maturity. He's been a wonderful and is a wonderful, wonderful biological brother to me. I love him with all my heart. I want to share with you a part of Pilgrim's Progress today. You may not know or be familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. It was written by John Bunyan. It's considered still the number one Christian or number one allegory, Christian or secular, in the English language. It was first published in 1678. This incredible allegory of the Christian journey helps open for us some very clear understandings about persecution and suffering that we need to understand. They are coming out of the wilderness and they're approaching the city, Vanity Fair. And as they're talking, Evangelist is speaking with them. And he says to these two men, Christian and faithful. My sons, you've heard in the words of the gospel that you must go through many tribulations before you enter the kingdom of heaven, and also that in every city you enter, bonds and affliction awaits you. Therefore, you cannot expect to travel too long on your pilgrimage without suffering tribulations. You've discovered the truth of these testimonies in the struggles you've already endured, and more will immediately follow. 
You are almost out of this wilderness and will very soon see the town you will enter next on your journey. In that town you will be set upon by enemies who will be determined to kill you and who will succeed. You can be sure that one or both of you must seal his testimony with blood. Be faithful unto death, and the king will give you a crown of life. The one who dies there, although his death will be unnatural and perhaps very painful, will be better off than his companion, not only because he will arrive at the celestial city sooner, but also because he will escape many of the miseries that the other will meet with on his, on the rest of his journey. I remember the stories that I've read in China before the communist regime took over. The pastors had been preaching to their congregations that the Chinese communist government would not come in and take over China, that God would deliver them by rapture, that it was time for the rapture of the church, and that they would escape this persecution. But then the Chinese communist government did come in, and there was intense persecution. Some of the pastors who had told their congregations that they would be raptured before the persecution came, when they gathered for worship the next time, the congregation confronted the pastors. Some of those pastors were severely beaten and run out of town as liars because they'd been told there would not be any persecution because the rapture would happen first. How many pastors in America today are saying, that there's going to be a rapture, a secret rapture, and that America will not suffer persecution. They are lying. Yes, Jesus will come for his church, but there will be intense persecution before Jesus comes for his church. And I'm speaking this to you to warn you and to prepare you for what is coming. Times of famine are coming to America. Already we've had pestilence. We will have more pestilence. And many will die. And you may be one of those. But I'm speaking to you about eternal life. That Jesus has not deserted us. Peter talks about this. Let me turn quickly and read it for you. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or some other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed to praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter is soon to die, crucified with his wife. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The power of God is there for us. So when you come to town, this is again Bunyan. When you come to town and this happens to you, fulfilling what I have related, and then remember me and the things that I told you, conduct yourselves like men. Commit the keeping of your souls to God as you struggle to do what is right. Remember, he is your faithful creator. Then I saw in my dream that when they had left the borders of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them, and the name of the town is Vanity. And in the town there is a year-around market called Vanity Fair. It bears its name because the town that hosts the fair is only concerned with things that are unimportant and vain. All that is bought and sold at the fair is likewise vain and worthless. As the ancient says, all that cometh is vanity. This fair is no new business, but it's been established from ancient times. Almost 5,000 years ago, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city, just as Christian and faithful were doing. Belzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, seeing that the pilgrims' path went straight through the town of Vanity, conspired together to set up a fair in which all sorts of vain merchandise were sold all year long. The merchants had houses and lands, trades, places, honors, positions, titles, countries, kingdoms, lust. Pleasures, delights of all sorts, such as whores, lewd entertainment, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, everything. Moreover, at this fair can always be seen the juggling and the cheats, the plays, the fools, the knaves, the apes, the rogues, and that of every kind, 
also to be seen and at no charge are thefts and murders and adulteries and false witnesses who cause death with their lies. As in other fairs of less importance, where there are several rows and streets all properly named for the different wares that are that are vended, so also Vanity Fair has the proper places, rows, streets, countries, kingdoms. Here's the Britain row, the French row, the Italian row, the Spanish row, the German row, and if he were writing it today, he would have the Chicago row, the New York, the American. And various sorts of vanities are to be sold. Here the wear of, of Rome is greatly promoted and desired and only a few nations, including England, have taken a dislike to the goods of Rome. Now, as I said, the way to the celestial city lies through this town where the lusty fair is kept, and anyone going to the celestial city who will not go through the town must go out of the world. The prince of princes himself, were, when he was here, went through this town to his own country. That is, Jesus had to go through this vanity fair. Remember, the devil tempted him with every good thing in vanity fair. Bunyan writes, I think it was Beelzebub, the chief lord of the fair, who invited him to buy of his vanities. Even offered to make him lord of the fair, if only he would show him reverence as he went through the town because the prince was such a person of honor. Beelzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a little time in order to, if possible, allure the blessed one to cheapen himself and buy some of their vanities. But the prince had no interest in merchandise and left the town without spending so much as one penny on anything there. The fair is a great and ancient and long-standing place. Now these pilgrims, as I said, must pass through Vanity Fair. And so they did. But as they entered into the fair, they created a great commotion, and all the people in the fair turned their attention to the two pilgrims. There are several reasons for this. First, the pilgrims were dressed differently from the people trading at the fair. The people of the fair looked at them in astonishment. Some said they were fools, some said they were lunatics, and some said they were just outlandish men. I want to say that today, if you dress modestly, if you don't dress with a flair to draw attention to yourself, you will be considered old-fashioned. I see people who call themselves Christians smothered in makeup and jewelry and the finest clothes. Some wearing their sexuality as a weapon, drawing attention to themselves and to their vanity. The world considers you as a part of themselves. 
they'll never object if you look like them and act like them and talk like them. Secondly, their speech was judged even stranger. Very few could even understand what the pilgrims said since they speak the language of the promised kingdom rather than the language of the world. I watched one day as I sat in a restaurant. A group of six men came in and sat at a table next to me. They said, let's bow our heads and let's pray a blessing for our food. And so they all bowed their heads and one of the men prayed a a very good prayer, thanking Jesus for their provision and for their friendship. And then they resumed their normal banter and conversation focused on the sports world. My heart was broken. They destroyed their testimony. Yesterday, I I saw a man that I've not seen for probably two years, three years. He recognized me when he saw me in a public place, and he immediately approached me and shook my hand, said, How are you? I said, I'm serving Jesus. I said that to him because I knew he was a very, very wealthy businessman, a very successful businessman, a multimillionaire. And I had watched many times as he played with his girlfriends, a new woman on his arm, never his wife. I knew he was married. He told me he was married, but he loved women. He was always dressed perfectly, hair perfect. Every He was the man about town. But yesterday when I saw him, his hair was disheveled. He was in old clothes. I said to him, what's happening with you? He said, I'm retired. We spoke briefly, and he said, Are you still trying to save men from hell? I said, Yes. I'd still like to see you saved from hell. With that, he laughed, thought it was a great joke, and off he went. But I want to tell you something. No longer was he walking with the stride of a strong man. Yesterday, he was shuffling like an old man. Something has happened in the two or three years since I've seen him, and he has transitioned from a strong, virile man into an old man on his way to the grave. I was heartbroken. I've been praying for him. He looks like the world. He acts like the world. He is the world. 
and he's going the way of the world. He will die. And if he is not somehow turned from his path, he will go to hell. And that causes me heartburn. Now, Bunyan identifies a third way these two pilgrims were different than the world. The thing that most annoyed and puzzled the merchants in Vanity Fair was that these pilgrims put no value on their fair on the fair goods. They didn't even enjoy looking at them. When the merchants called out to them to buy this or that, the pilgrims put their fingers in their ears and cried out, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and looked upward, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. One merchant, observing the strange conduct of the pilgrims, mockingly said to them, What will you buy? But they, looking sternly at him, answered, We buy the truth. This caused great offense, and the merchants began to despise the pilgrims. Some mocked, some taunted, some spoke reproachfully, and some began to call out for others to strike them. And finally the pilgrims created so much commotion that the natural order of the fair was disrupted. The confusion was so great that word was sent to the great one of the fair who quickly came down and dispatched a few of his most trusted friends to detain and question the two pilgrims. Christian and faithful told them they were pilgrims and strangers in the world and that they were going to their own country, which was the heavenly Jerusalem. That's Pilgrim's Progress. I want to say something, but I want to say it with great compassion to you. Many of you who call yourselves Christians are basically worldly people in the way you act where you go, what you value. The world can tell no difference between themselves and between you because you have looked like the world and acted like the world in their presence. You've been interested in Vanity Fair and and the entertainment of Vanity Fair. Well, you can say that you're a Christian, But when the world looks at those who call themselves Christians today, they have scorn in their hearts. Because most who call themselves Christians in America fit in very well with the world, look like the world, and act like the world. So why would you be persecuted? You're you're just like the world, so you're not going to be persecuted. You're going to be loved by the world. Some pastors have been very acclaimed by the world. 
They've been loved by the world. Why? Oh, these are men of great integrity. These are wonderful men of God. You know when the world begins to speak that way about you that you're in trouble. That you have met the definition of the world for being successful. And they recognize that for for many, the church is simply a business. A business that helps the poor and a business that helps others and a, a business that gives entertainment and social connections. But it's not salt and it's not light. That gives me sorrow of my heart. Many are not going to be persecuted because you've gone along to get along. You're not like the church at Smyrna. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to be put in prison. If they tell you, You need this vax. Okay, I'll take it. I want to live in the world. If they tell you, do this or do that, you do it. Because you want to be acceptable. You want to be looked upon as, as one of them. And you want to enjoy the benefits of the world. You want the entertainment of the world. I'm deeply concerned for you. I'm deeply concerned for you. Because there is coming a second death. The first death is ugly. It is the end of the probation time. And it is then that we are ushered into the great judgment where our disposition will be settled by the judge of all judges, Jesus Christ. Don't think that you can go before that judge and have him not see you for who you are. He has made provision by his shed blood for all of your sins to be wiped away, to be removed. He's made provision for you to be righteous, to be holy, to be set apart. And if you're not, when you go before the judgment bar, don't believe you can be wrapped in his robe and still be filthy. The scriptures are clear. Let him who is righteous be righteous still, and let him who is filthy be filthy still, as we go to the judgment bar of Jesus Christ. So I look at all of this and I say, Lord, will you come? In the power of your Holy Spirit, will you come and bring revival to America? Would you cause Christians to repent and to turn away from the lies and the deceptions of a modern church? that's more concerned about being loved and accepted by the world than whether 
were loved and accepted by Jesus. Well, we're out of time. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm so grateful, so humbled by those of you who stand with me, who give of your resources so that we can remain on the air and bring these messages of the gospel to you, to America. Thank you. We live in a time of great crisis, great seriousness. I can just tell you now, Jesus looks at his followers and says, don't worry, don't be afraid, be strong, be brave, for we know in the end, Jesus wins, and he loves you. God bless you, my brother, my sister. We'll talk soon.